You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. Well, good morning, church family. Keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 10. We're going to be getting there in just a moment. I want to begin our time this morning by reading you a quick excerpt from a book. Uh, It's one of my favorite books in in the faith. Uh, It's a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, written by author and pastor John Mark Comer. It begins like this. It's a Sunday night, 10 p.m., head up against the glass of an Uber, too tired to even sit up. I taught six times today. Yes, six. The church I pastor just added another gathering. That's what you do, right? Make more room for people? I made it until about talk number four. I don't really remember anything after that. I'm well beyond tired, emotionally, mentally, even spiritually. When we, went for, when we first went to six, I called up this megachurch pastor in California who'd been doing six for a while. How do you do it, I, he asked, I asked. Easy, he said. It's like running a marathon once a week. Okay, thanks. Click. Wait. Isn't a marathon really hard? I take up long distance running. He has an affair and drops out of the church. That does not bode well for my future. Home now, late dinner, can't sleep. That dead, tired, but wired feeling. Crack open a beer on the couch, watching an obscure kung fu fu movie nobody's ever heard of. Chinese with subtitles. Keanu Reeves is the bad guy. Love Keanu. I sigh. Lately, I'm ending most of my nights this way on the couch long after the family has gone to bed. Never been remotely into Kung Fu before. It makes me nervous. Is this the harbinger of mental illness on the horizon? It all started when he got obsessed with indie martial arts movies, they say. But the thing is, I feel like a ghost, half alive, half dead, more numb than anything else, flat, one-dimensional. Emotionally, I live with an undercurrent of a nonstop anxiety that rarely goes away and a tinge of sadness, but mostly I just feel blah, spiritually empty. It's like my soul is hollow. My life is so fast. I I like fast. I'm type A, driven, get crap done kind of guy. But we're well past that now. I work six days a week, early to late, and it's still not enough time to get it all done. Worse, I feel hurried. Like I'm tearing through each day, so busy with the life that I'm missing out on the moment. And what is life but a series of moments? Anybody? I can't be the only one. Monday morning, up early, in a hurry to get to the office. Always in a hurry. Another day of meetings. I freaking hate meetings. I'm introverted and creative, and like most millennials, I get bored way too easily. Me in a lot of meetings is a terrible idea for all involved. But our church grew really fast, and that's part of the trouble. I hesitate to say this because, trust me, if anything, it's embarrassing. We grew by over a 1,000 people a year for seven years straight. I thought this is what I wanted. I mean, a fast-growing church is every pastor's dream. But some lessons are best learned the hard way, turns out. I don't actually want to be the CEO slash executive director of a nonprofit slash HR expert strategy guru slash leader of leaders, etc., I got into this thing to teach the way of Jesus. Is this the way of Jesus? Matthew 11, verse 28, reads like this. 
Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Is that what the Christian life feels like for you? Is that your experience in walking with Jesus? As we continue to walk through Luke's gospel this morning, we're going to look at something that all of us know. We're not going to learn anything new, but Lord willing, the Lord works in a new way in our lives through something that we already know. Here's the truth from the scripture that we're going to see that we already know. We love being busy. We enjoy it. Think about conversations that you have. You see a friend out in a coffee shop that you haven't seen in a while. You say, hey, hey, how are you? What is their response? Oh, I'm good, you know, just been really busy. Just this morning, spoke with several people, greeting in the lobby or in the sanctuary. Hey, how's your week been? Oh, you know, good, just running the kids here, there, got a lot going on, just been really busy. This is how our life is. We kind of wear busy as a badge of honor. I do it, you do it, we all do it. Busy is just a part of who we are. But what if our busyness has become the thing that the enemy wants from us? What if busyness is the thing getting in between you and Jesus? A famous author named Corey Tinboom says this, if the devil cannot make us bad, he will make us busy. Today's text reveals two people's hearts and focuses. One person has her eyes fixed on Jesus and she values him. While the other person values Jesus, but her heart focus, but her focus, excuse me, reveals something else in her heart. If you're taking notes this morning on the back of your bulletin or in another fashion, the title of my sermon is Have Your Steps Established. So we're in this sermon series, so you're a Christian, what's next? What's next for you is have your steps established, and we're going to talk about this. So as you're in this Luke chapter 10 passage, I want to highlight a few things. This this narrative, this account of Martha and Mary with Jesus is only found in Luke's gospel. You may recognize these names, Martha and Mary, because they are the names of uh, Lazarus, or Lazarus' sisters, excuse me. And so Lazarus is the guy who was dead. Jesus raises him from the dead, and these are his sisters, Martha and Mary. Some would debate that maybe it's not. Maybe these are very common names at the time. I think Martha being the number one, or the number four common name, Mary being the number one common name. So there's a debate among theologians. Are these the same people? But I think about 70% of the community goes, yeah, these are the same folks, because then you can look over to the account in John chapter 12. This same Mary is the same Mary that takes a bottle of perfume pours it on Jesus' feet, and then washes Jesus' feet and dries it with her hair. And so if you recognize these names, Martha and Mary, you can see three different accounts from them. One in Luke 10, one in John 11, and then again in John 12. And so these are these two people, to just give you a little bit of context of what's going on. So what I want to do is just walk through these verses and see what the Lord can lead us to about following him and having our steps established. Let's go through verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, 
and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So what's happening here is you can see the disciples traveled as they went on their way. Now it would appear that Jesus gets a very special invitation to Martha and Mary's house. But what we can also assume is that there's a good chance everyone traveling with Jesus got this same invitation. Hence, some of Martha's anxiety, hurried nature, because she is now preparing a home, preparing a meal for the multitude of people that come with Jesus. It isn't just Jesus. She's not just worried in this moment about Jesus and maybe herself and Mary and possibly even Lazarus that isn't mentioned. There is a good chance that when Martha is trying to get the house ready that she invited Jesus to, the Lord, there's a lot more people. And so this should give us some picture of what's going on in Martha's heart. Continue on in verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. I can see this picture. I hope you can as well. Here is one sister, the overachiever, the one who does all the things. And she is doing all of the work. And she's making straight A's. And then there's the other sister who's not doing those things. But everybody loves her because she's fun and she's in the moment. You know what I'm saying? Are you seeing these pictures? Maybe you're one of these two people. Does this story resonate with you in some way? Are you the one in the kitchen working hard while the other person is, you know, entertaining? That's what we call it. Some of us in the room read this story and we can maybe even get a little mad at Mary, if we're honest. Like, hey girl, Jesus is in the house. Why don't you go help this other one out making some food, right? I mean, that's kind of the picture that you can kind of see. Have you ever, raise your hand if you've done a group project with someone or worked with someone on a job and had to share work. None of you? Thank you. Appreciate that. There we go. Thanks. Fantastic. There's always that one person in the group project, right? Oh, I didn't get those emails. I missed that. My computer isn't working this way or can you really help me with this? I don't understand it, right? And then the entire team pulls the weight for that one person who's going to get the same grade that we're going to get. They're going to get the same result or reward at work. This is likely what Martha feels like towards Mary. Mary's just sitting there at the feet of Jesus, and Martha is getting ticked, looking at her sister like, what a freeloader. Are you kidding me? So Martha is going to go tattletale to daddy. Verse 40, and she goes up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Do you feel the injustice? Tell her then to help me. Martha's thinking she won. I got it. Jesus has got me. Mary, get your butt up, right? But what does Jesus say back? Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Hold up. What did he just say? Proverbs 16, 2 says, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. So when Martha comes to Jesus, 
trying to get him to turn his eyes and his gaze and everything her way, Jesus knows exactly what's happening. He sees right into the spirit of Martha, and he shows her the truth of where she is. Jesus sees Martha's heart, and he sees her focus. John Mark, later in this book, says, what you give your attention to is the person you become. Jesus sees what Martha is giving her attention to. The Son of God is in Martha and Mary's house. They knew who Jesus was. That's why Jesus got the invitation. And I want, I want you to ask yourself, how, how would you behave if God himself was in your home? So I can, I can see the effort of Martha. She really wants to show respect and honor Jesus and treat him with the respect that he is due but did Martha ever stop and think about what the guest himself would require, would desire? See, Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus because what God wants from us is to want him more than our desire to serve him. Mary was giving her full attention to Jesus while Martha was distracted in serving Jesus. One of our temptations in the Christian faith is to try to perform our way into a sense of approval with God. This is normal. Think about life. Think about how everything else in your life works. As a child, you get good grades and rewards come. As a high school student, you perform on fields and courts and stages and you get applauses. When you graduate from high school or college or post you know, grad school, all these different places, you get approval and applauses and jobs, and then you get in the workforce, and what happens when you, you perform well at your job, you, you get raises and promotions. Nobody gets those things who don't perform, right? You have to do, and then you receive. So why wouldn't God work like this? Isn't God happy with us when we perform? Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. It says, he will rejoice. That word can also say delight. Over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. He delights over us. Absolutely. As Jesus follows the will of the Father, the Father looks down on him in Matthew 3 and says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Certainly. God delights in us when we follow him. But here's what we need to know. Thinking about this Martha and Mary situation, thinking about our heart situation when we're doing, is that God doesn't find his ultimate approval in you by your works. He finds his ultimate approval in you through submission and worship of him. Because your approval was won in the empty grave. And that is where we find approval. That is where he is brought joy. That is where delight comes from. Colossians 3, 3, the latter part says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. So when we surrender to Jesus as Lord of our life, we have immediate approval and delight in Christ. 
Because we don't work for approval, we work from approval. I love this Timothy Keller quote. It says, Satan doesn't control us with fang marks on the flesh, but with lies in the heart. Our best defense in the fight against his lies is not the production of incantations or works, but the rehearsal of truth that you have been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. Another way of saying this is to recognize the lie of busy and work and remember that Jesus has called us to rest in him. So if you were to slow down for a moment, look at this Martha and Mary situation. Martha goes to Jesus and says, hey, can you get my sister to come help me? And Jesus responds and says, hold on. There's a lot going on in there. I know that you feel like you're doing the right thing. But really, you are anxious about the wrong things. You are being busy and being distracted from the right thing. And the right thing is to worship. The Messiah is here now in your presence. Slow down. Where do you tend to lean in your life? Are you the one like Mary who's sitting at the feet of Jesus, resting, ready to receive him, his word? Or do you find yourself in the busy spectrum? Trying to do the right things, trying to give it to the Lord, trying to do all the things that you think he would have you do, but in really what, what we've done in so many ways is we've created an idol of doing in our worship of God. So we're no longer worshiping God, we're worshiping the idol of doing. If you find yourself there, it's okay, I do too. That's why there's grace. And he calls us to repent and to recognize it. See, Satan lo is looking to distract you from the calling of God on your life. Distraction is a key thing here. In the medieval times, there was a really crazy uh, way, uh, uh, I guess a barbaric torture tactic called drawing and quartering. It's where a person would be uh, attached with ropes by their hands and their feet, and then the other ends of those ropes would be attached to four different horses, and those four different horses would then be, you know, told to run in four different directions. In essence, then ripping the person apart, Right? Do you know what the French called that method of torture? Distraction. This is what the Satan looks to do to us. He has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And in some ways, to distract us from keeping the main thing the main thing. Go back to that picture, Martha and Mary with Jesus. Mary, they both recognize who Jesus is. But what does Mary do? She slows down. She sits with him while Martha is in the back, constantly busy and then getting angry because there's no support. Look, I, I want to be careful to say that, you know, having things to do and, and working hard are not enemies of rest. We, we can be productive, hardworking citizens while resting in Jesus. Because rest begins with a posture of our heart. Now listen, it, it does call at times for a, a physical and mental rest. It calls us to implement rhythms just as the Lord implemented rhythms for us and modeled them in creation. Resting on the what day? Seventh day. Following Jesus, as Matthew said, or Matthew quotes Jesus in, the, in his 
gospel message should lift the burden of the heavy load of life and give us a sense of ease. Do you feel that? Be honest. Answer yourself. Right? Ask yourself the question. Do I feel a sense of ease in my everyday? Or does every day feel like another mountain that I can't climb? Another boulder that I can't lift? Another thing that uh, is just too much? Or are you going down the path with Jesus and feeling this sense of ease like, yeah, I can't handle it, but I, he, he can. Where are you? So I want to answer this question. How do we enter into a posture of rest? What's the title of my sermon? Have your steps established. Proverbs 16, 11 says, The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. So how do we become more like Mary? How do we become more present in rest and in a posture where we can worship the Lord while being productive, by, by being good hard-working citizens. I don't know if you know this, but you were called to work before the fall. The fall just made work hard, right? So work isn't a bad thing. It's not of the devil, right? Work's a good thing. You were called to be productive. You were called to get calluses on your hands, some of you, maybe not all of you, right? You, you were called to do good work. We're not called to just rest. There's a balance in this thing, right? It's not just, hey, let's, let's, let's rest a lot. I, I, I heard a, a recent quote recently that the average millennial takes one day a week off uh, for mental health. I think that was you who told me that quote, right? I don't know where he got it from, so don't quote me on that. But here's the thing. we got to have a balance in life of work and rest. So how do we maintain and create this posture of rest mentally, emotionally, physically in Christ? Well, it starts, well, starts off with this. The first one begins with the premise that you are hidden in Christ. So how do we become more like Mary? How do we sit at the feet of Jesus while having all these other things to do just like Martha did? So the problem wasn't Martha's doing. The problem was Martha's heart. Jesus looked straight to the soul and go, Martha, you are anxious because you are not resting in me. So it begins with us recognizing that we are hidden in Christ. In the New Testament, the phrase in Christ is mentioned over 85 times. You are in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. You know what that means? It's no longer you who lives, but it is Christ who lives through you. You have been crucified in Christ. In Christ means to be a follower, or follower of Jesus, to recognize his death, burial, and resurrection as the payment for your sins, a debt that you could not pay. And as a result, you follow him and are now hidden in Christ. Look, if you're looking to have your steps established, if you're looking for this ease that the Lord speaks about in Matthew to take on his yoke and his burden to give everything back uh, that's on your shoulders back to him and to walk in the ease of life, you cannot do it without surrendering your life to Jesus. You have to be hidden in Christ. You have to recognize that there was nothing that you could do. You're a sinner separated from the Father. But Jesus made a way for you to come back to him in wholeness and fullness through the sacrifice of his son on the cross. 
You've got to recognize that you're now hidden in Christ. The second thing we have to do is we have to be satisfied in him. There's a phrase called Christian hedonism. It was made popular by a pastor named John Piper. Christian hedonism is the conviction that God's ultimate goal is his glory. And our ultimate goal is really our happiness. And these two things are actually one and the same. Because when God is most glorified in us, we are most satisfied in him. When God is most glorified in us is when we are most satisfied in him. Think about that. Not only is God the supreme source of satisfaction for the human soul, but God himself is glorified by our being satisfied in him. Christian hedonism claims that the Christian life should be the pursuit of maximum joy in Christ. Joy both in quality and in quantity. This is based off a passage in Psalm 16:11 that says, "You make known to me the path of your life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore." So how do we enter into a posture of rest? Number one, we've got to be hidden in Christ. Number two, we have to find satisfaction in Him. Number three, we have to take intentional steps to follow Him. Look, I'm going to get real practical here in just a moment, and we've got to get real vulnerable with each other and with our own hearts. But I want you to remember the quote that we said earlier. What you give your attention to is the person you become. Ask yourself, what is getting your attention? How often is it getting your attention? We make proclamation that we want to follow God. We celebrate when he moves in our lives. How often is he getting our attention? How often is the mission of God grabbing the attention and pushing you forward? Are you Martha or are you Mary? Are you being like Martha who, although was in the presence of the Lord, found herself to be busy, distracted, couldn't give herself, or get, couldn't give Jesus, excuse me, her full attention? Or are you more like Mary, in a current position and posture of rest and joy as, she, as you sit at the feet of Jesus? So I want to give you four practical things that you can do to start having the Lord establish your steps. Four practical things. The first one, parent your devices. Parent your devices. I'm speaking from a, a place of honesty. I don't do this well. I need to do this better. We need to wake up before them. And we need to go to bed after them. How many of you let this thing dictate a lot of your life? The text message, the email, the phone call, the social media app, the video game. My wife loves the video game. She doesn't like to call it a video game. She's like, it's not the same. It's, it's the same. It's a video game. <laughs> we got to limit our screen time. Andy Crouch, uh, author of the book TechWise Family, says that we should have no screens for one hour a day, one day a week, and one week a year. 
We spoke about this in, in, in length about a year ago in a sermon series called Screens. So if you're looking for more hands-on, what can we do for screens? How do we set, you know, some rules and boundaries in our household? I encourage you to go look up, look up our sermons on, on website or on Spotify. But we need to learn how to parent our devices, our TVs, our smart devices, other things. Because those things are causing you to take your fix and your gaze and your attention off of Jesus. And they're moving them elsewhere. Yes, can screens be a great method to point us to Jesus? Absolutely. But one of the things that we get guilty of and that we try to make steps in our house, especially with our kids, is we love Bible apps, right? Well, here's what my kids don't know. If they go my, they walk by me while I have my phone, they have no idea whether I'm on my Bible app or whether I'm doing something else. They have very good idea of what is happening when this is happening, right? There's no question. What do I have open right now? My Bible. What do I have open right now? A wonder, you know, a million things. So we try to, we try to take intentional steps around us in discipleship. That's a discipleship step. We want our kids to see we value God's word, not our phones. Number two, make a plan for devotion. You've likely discovered at this point in your walk, if you've been doing it for some time at all, the devotion to the Lord, at least as far as it is related to our consistent life of prayer, meditation, scripture, reading, fasting, doesn't automatically happen, does it? Like you didn't just wake up first day as a believer and be like, I just read the whole Bible today. I got it. It just happened through osmosis. Look, every life coach, personal trainer, dietitian, and more will tell you something like this. If you fail to plan, you have done what? You've planned to fail. Why do we take that in all the self-help books, but then we don't apply it to our walk with Jesus? Right? We, it, we, if we have a desire to, to put our attention and our gaze on him, or maybe I should say if we have a desire to walk with him and have ease of life, then we have to have our attention on him. And if we have to have our attention on him, we need to be intentional about doing that. So some people will get up here and tell you, man, every morning you need to hit it. And, you know, you need to hit the scripture and do this and do that. Sure. Could be the morning. Could be the evening. Could be the afternoon. I, I don't think there's a biblical mandate of when you do it. Right? I do think there's a biblical mandate of, like, you should do it. I think it's one of those things that he says, like, Pray without ceasing and con continually be in relationship with me and, you know, spur one another on. Like, there's, there's a lot of other passages we could go to to talk about being one with the Lord. One of the things that I do, I, I have a chart. I've taken the staff through it. It's called My Perfect Week. It's broken down in 30-minute segments of my week. And I put on there, hey, I'm going to wake up at this time. I'm going to have breakfast. I'm going to work out. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. When I go to office, I'm going to do this. I have 30-minute sections for all seven days. And if I hit 70% of that, I've done a good job this week. Now, some of you are like, wow, that's way too detail-oriented. That's fine. If you don't have a system, you will fail. So you don't need to have a system that detailed, but you need to have some sort of a system. Maybe a quick, easy step for you, get into an MC. What's an MC? I'm glad you asked. Thank you. It's a missional community. It's, a, it's our way of plugging the church body together. It's where they come together for family gatherings, where they open God's word. They have questions about the sermons. They pray for each other. They oftentimes will eat a meal together. 
They also have accountability groups in there. So gender on gender, hanging out with each other, asking each other questions that are going to help them discover, nurture, and, and act in their life. They're also then going to do things to become missionaries. They're going to go out and love the neighborhood and the nation. We build in rhythms to be a family of servant missionaries. You need this. To make a plan for devotion, it can be a pretty easy little thing. So practical. Number one, get your devi- parent your devices. Number two, make a plan for de- devotion. Number three, start small. Craig Groeschel, a pastor out in Oklahoma, wrote a book a couple years ago. I feel like I'm quoting a lot of pastors today. Of, okay, great. Here we go. Um, he wrote a book called Divine Devotion. Funny enough, it's an orange book too. There's a thing going on today. Two orange books. So Divine Devotion, he talks about this. If you don't know anything about Craig Rochelle, he's got an amazing leadership podcast. Solid leader. One of the things he says is resolutions fail every year because what typically people do is they look at all the things in their life they want to change. And they go, let's do it. January 1st, I'm going to diet. I'm going to work out. I'm going to save money. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that, right? That's a lot of stuff. You obviously didn't have the self-discipline to do those things early on in the first place. So why would you add all of those things at the same time? I mean, let's just be honest, right? I'm big because I eat too much food and I don't exercise enough. That's how that works, okay? So maybe if I wanted to make more money or lose weight, maybe they can help each other out, but maybe I should just go, let's focus on losing weight or making more money. Because I don't know if y'all know this, but gym memberships aren't free, right? So if I want to lose weight and join a gym, which, man, by the way, have you seen the cost of gyms lately? Good gosh. Anyway, if I join a gym, that's spending more money. So there's not always same, same there. But what he says is start small. Take one thing, one habit that you want to change in your life and focus in on it, lean in on it. And you know what you'd be surprised? In 20 years, the difference you are of a person. We don't think about it like that, do we? We don't think about 20 years. But habits aren't something we just create. It happened to us naturally. Think about all the bad habits you have. You didn't wake up loving soda and just drinking all of it. You probably fell into that. Oh, I'll only have one today. Seven Diet, pack, diet Coke packs later, you know, you had a, a lot. It just, it, it, that's how it works. Start small. Do one thing at a time. Last one. Don't do it alone. Have you all heard of this? Uh, I guess it's called a diet. I don't know. 75 hard. Anybody heard, ready, raise your hand? Okay. A few of us. So fill you in. It's this... Uh, I'll call it a diet. It's probably not. And somebody in here is doing it and they're going, it's not a diet. But look, it's this thing where you uh, have to drink a gallon of water, work out twice a day. One of them's got to be outside. You, you, uh, you got to do some sort of diet. Uh, you know, that's right. There's, uh, there's a bunch of things to it. One of them is you have to take a picture of yourself every single day. And part of this picture is either send to, you know, social media or send to a personal friend or just look at it and hold yourself accountable because, man, you're not looking good, right? So here's the deal. What they're trying to get you to do, and here's the hard part with 75 Heart. If, you, if you're on, like, day 73 and you forget that picture, you've got to start over. Or you can just lie and keep it going. Anyway, so <laughs> here's what 75 Heart is trying to get you to do. Build a community. They're trying to get you to not do it alone. And God made us for communion. He never wants you to do it alone either. He tells us to come together. He tells us to spur each other on. And I want to say this. Look, if Sunday morning, 
is your number one time of devotion with his church, then you are missing out on the benefits of his church. And I don't mean that from just like Piedmont perspective, right? Like the church is not just coming here, listening to me preach and singing some cool songs together. Like the church is us walking together in the things of life. I had a pastor growing up, mega church pastor. He would stand in front of the room of about 8,000 people. And he would say, hey, listen, if you're sitting in a chair today and you're not in a small group, in a year from now, you won't be here anymore. So I love you. Go with God. That's a mega church pastor. Like, huge. And I'm not saying that to you this morning, but I am saying this. If you don't get plugged in with a group of believers, what is this to you? How is it fulfilling what God's called on your life as the church to help you, to walk with you, to go through the difficult things? Oftentimes people come into a church like ours, a smaller church, right? And they want to connect with people and they want to be held accountable. But what we do is we come in and we sit in a chair and when something goes bad in our life, we're surprised that not everybody else in the room knows. Or we're surprised that we don't know other people in the, other people's, in the room's name. Or we miss for six or seven weeks and nobody reaches out, man, I, nobody hit me up. I've been gone for six or seven weeks. Even in a church our size, let me tell you something. If your only connection is here on a Sunday morning, I love you and I need you to hear this. We're going to miss you. And not in the sense of like we recognize we're going to miss you. Like we're just going to not, we're going to not acknowledge it. Like it's just, we're going to miss you. Like one, two, five, right? We're counting in order. We're going to miss three and four. Does it make sense? You'll track with me. And it's not intentional. It's not because we don't love you. There's about 150 people who call this you know, place home on a Sunday morning. We got about 225 that kind of cycle through. The best way to be known and to know others is to get into a small group, to be in an MC, to serve. That's the best way to live out what it is to be the church. Can we know each other outside of our MCs? Absolutely. I know a lot of people who aren't in my MC. Other people know a lot of folks who are not in their MC. But we know each other deeply and walk, each, walk with each other greatly when we walk together in an MC. Last thing that I have to say about doing it alone, don't do it alone. In about 10 days, Lent begins. For those of you who don't know what Lent is, it is a um, season that we begin in preparation for Easter. It's about a 40-day time where we begin to prepare our hearts to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We'll have the doors of the church open on that Ash Wednesday. I think it's February 10th, 14th. Oh, it's Valentine's Day. That's right. February 14th. The 10th is next Sunday, isn't it? Yeah. February 14th, we'll have the doors open. And I encourage you to come in all day, whenever you can come in. Meet some friends. Bring your MC. Bring your family. We're going to have prayer stations throughout the room for you to pray with people together. It can drop in and be a 10-minute thing for you. You can drop in and make it a 30-minute thing, or an hour thing. All day, we're going to have a day of prayer in this room right here. And I would encourage you strongly to, to begin the Lent season, a lot of what we're talking about here, in a way of giving something up and taking something on. So maybe you need to give up some food. Maybe you need to give up some sweets. Maybe you need to give up some screens. Maybe you need to give up 
some hobby you're doing and take on scripture reading and fasting and meditation, whatever that else that is. Try and MC, serving, loving someone you're not used to loving. Like, give something up, take something on. And I promise you, if you do that while seeking the Lord in prayer, you will not regret it. You will see the benefits of his life in you because you'll be hidden with Christ and you'll be walking on that path. And so in closing, I just want to ask you this question. Are you ready to be hidden in Christ? Because God is ready to establish your steps. Let's pray. Lord, as we close this morning, I just ask that uh, as we received a lot of information, I talked about a lot of ways that we can do a lot of things that we'll first and foremost remember that you have paid the ultimate price on the cross for us. That we can do all the things that I, I mentioned this morning and try to put our screens in check, try to have, do things in group and have accountability and all these different things, but if our attention and our gaze and our focus is not fixed on you, meaning we have not hidden ourselves in Christ, then all of it is for loss. And so God, I pray if there's anyone in this room this morning or listening on the podcast later or watching it online, God, I just pray that if they've never repented, turned from their sins, recognized their sin and turned from it and believed in you as their Lord and Savior, that they'll do so right now. Whether they're alone, whether they're in this room, whatever it is, God, that they will put their hope, their faith, their trust, and their life in your hands. God, as believers, will you give us the ability to begin to let go of some of the things of this world and the difficulties that we have with screens, other distractions. Help us to be more like Mary in the picture where we don't forget that you're in the room with us. Let's not get busy and distracted with the things of life, but to remember that the purpose of our life is to bring you glory. And in that, we will be satisfied that you'll fill us with joy. Help us remember that you have won every battle and we're just surrendering to you as our champion. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.